We've been um, working our way through the uh, letter of Romans. And uh, tonight we come to chapter 7, and I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to 6. I'm really encouraged that the Apostle Peter found some of Paul's writings difficult to understand. And as I worked on the passage for tonight, I was encouraged by one of the commentators who said, seldom did Paul write so difficult and complicated a passage as this. I thought, that's great, thank you very much. And another one said, when we are studying this passage, we should forget what Paul says and try and find out out what he means. So I say that as an encouragement to you who are going to listen to me for the next 15 to 20 minutes or so and ask for your grace. Let's read together. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to men and women who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law, through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking, well, that's straightforward enough to me. What some people struggle with this passage is that If Paul had said, Jesus has killed sin, and so we are free, they would have understood it more easily. If Jesus had killed the law, so we are free, it would have been more easy to understand. But he gives an illustration, and then he says that we have died to sin and to the law. So we're going to be looking at that tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the bits that we understand perfectly well and we ask for grace for the bits that we sometimes struggle to understand but we know that your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word molds and fashions us by the power of your spirit into the people you want us to be and it's through your word that we know Jesus. Through your word, we have come to know your character, God. And as we grapple, as Paul was grappling in those early days, as the church was growing rapidly, facing persecution, and grappling with all the issues of what it meant 
to be a follower of Jesus, help us to understand in our context what this word means to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. When she met him, she thought she had found her Mr. Right. But they were still on their honeymoon when the marriage turned sour. He became very demanding. He was always pointing out where she failed, but refused to lift a finger to help. When she failed in obeying his commands, he began to abuse her. Nothing she did was ever good enough. She was stuck in a marriage to the most miserable of husbands, and the pain just grew stronger when she discovered that they could not have any children. Then one day her husband died, and she was free. Free to marry the kind, gentle, honest, and graceful suitor who had been patiently waiting for her all her life, who had loved her all her life. Her excited friends arranged great celebrations for the second wedding, and all went well, but it didn't take them long to discover that quite soon afterwards something was very wrong. For some reason, she kept a photo of her first husband beside the bed. And she would gaze longingly at his angry-looking face while her tender new husband lay beside her. She kept all her old husband's clothes and from time to time would smell them to catch just his scent and reminisce about the fear she used to feel when she heard his voice She missed him so much. Hands up if that strikes you as an odd story. Because you're supposed to. I'll come back to that in a moment. Paul has described our salvation in Jesus Christ in different ways through these early chapters of Romans. He has contrasted us being transferred, as it were, from one kingdom to another. Once we're in the kingdom of darkness, now we're in the kingdom of light. We are now subjects of a new king. So why would we ever go back to the old? He has described that we have been set free as slaves to an old master and now we are servants of a new master. But the motivation is all different. Why would we go back and place ourselves under the old slave master once we have been set free? And in this passage, he uses an illustration that a wife has been freed from a tyrant of a husband, free to marry the one who has always loved her, 
yet she looks back and keeps a photo of the old tyrant by the bed. And sometimes it's hard to keep up with Paul's metaphors. He was a very clever bloke. He uses so many illustrations and metaphors. Who is the old husband? Who is the old slave master? Who is the old ruler? Well, it could be the law. The law which just points out where we have gone wrong. The law which actually condemns us, doesn't lift a finger to help us. Or maybe it's sin, Satan's right-hand man, the slave master. He's the old husband. We've been set free, but why would we want to go back and have a photo, as it were, of our sin on the sideboard saying, oh, wasn't that lovely? At times when, I, you know, when I'm sharing my testimony or I hear other testimonies, it's almost, almost, because we want to tell the contrast of the old and the new, that we give half an hour to the old and just a bit for the new. This is what I was like, and it was dreadful, and it was terrible, and Jesus set me free. And Paul uses this image to say, why are you focusing on that? Or it's the old self, the old nature, the pre-Christ us. I can say from personal experience, I would not want to go back and be the man I was before I met Jesus. Now, I wasn't a terrible person, but I didn't have Jesus in my life. And it was all about me. The theme here, as I perceive it, is that death cancels all contracts. Paul is bringing this theme into this. And he says, as a follower of Jesus, we have died, so we are free. We have died to sin, died to law. We have died to the old, been freed, to become all that Jesus intended us to be, to be like him. Jesus intends us to be more like him. In chapter 6, Paul has been calling the church to a life of holiness. And in chapter 7, he begins this introduction to the law, this old self. Does it assist us in this new life? And the background, obviously, is he's addressing this small community in Rome, this small church that is made up of Messianic Jews, Jews who are converts to Jesus, but who still look back to the law. And there was a struggle in their hearts. Jesus has set us free from all that, but sometimes that freedom is scary, and it was, it was handier to have the law. We knew what we were doing or not doing. And there were pagan converts in the church as well from a very different background. 
And they'd been saved. Jesus had come into their lives, but there was still the lure of the old. The old life still beckoning. The old master still calling up. And into that mix, you see, Paul has to speak as he tries to give direction to the church. So what is the nature of the relationship between the law and the believer? Does the law apply to the born-again believer? Now, there are some amusing, this was from Simon Ponsonby's book. He's always good for an amusing anecdote, isn't he? There are some amusing old laws still on the British statute books. He says, did you know it is illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament? He said, just don't do it. You could be in trouble. It is illegal to drive a cow when drunk. Still on the statute books in this country. It is illegal to hail a taxi if you have the plague. And this one, I thought this was amazing. It is illegal, apparently, to eat mince pies on Christmas Day. How many of you last year broke the law? Yeah, you could be in trouble. These old laws don't quite belong to the 21st century. Does the law apply to Christians? And Paul has actually said, we are not under law, we are under grace. We're not under law. We're not under law, we're under grace, so we can do what we want. Not what I meant, says Paul. We're not under law, we're under grace. The grace of Jesus Christ, whose love has captured our hearts so that we have a new heart. See, this is the thing people miss out when they misunderstand Paul. They go, ah, well, if we're not under law and we're under grace, we do what we want. But Paul said, no, but Christ has given us a new heart. And he's actually written the law on our heart. So no, it's not in tablets of stone or whatever, but it's written somewhere else. The law contained 613 laws, 365 thou shalt nots or prohibitions, one for every day. And 248 thou shalts, obviously from the um, King James Version, or prescriptions, what we should do. But what Paul has discovered in his own life was that the law cannot curb the law of sin and death. That the law cannot transform a person's life. Because it, if it could have done, Paul would have been a transformed person. Read what he says to some of the Philippians when he says, If anyone thinks... They have reason to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He knew the law inside out, back to front. Whatever I considered my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Jesus. I consider everything a loss compared 
to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because Paul has discovered that the law could not save him. And that however much he kept the law, and he was a Pharisee, he was zealous, he was, as to legalistic righteousness, faultless, yet still miserable as sin. Because the law points the finger, but doesn't lift the finger to help. We need Christ. And Christ sets us free. Not that Paul dismisses the law. He calls it holy, righteous, good and revealing, but he knows it is unable to save. The law represents the old humanity in Adam. Grace represents the new humanity in Christ. The law brings condemnation, but Christ brings forgiveness. And the Spirit of God brings life. So we are free from the law because we have died. Now this is the bit people find really struggle because in his illustration he talks about marriage, but he's not opening a debate on marriage and whether you can remarry and all that. That's not what Paul is on about. He is using that illustration to say that in the marriage covenant, you make a promise till death do us part. And if death comes, that promise is fulfilled. You have kept the promise. And Paul says that in Christ, you have died. Now that's really weird, isn't it? In Christ you have died. We see that in baptism. When we baptize people, we say that they have died with Christ. Their old life is dead and buried and they are raised to a new life. Therefore, as I've grappled with this, what I understand is, I have died with Christ, therefore the law has no authority over me because I am alive in Christ. Are you with me or Paul <laughs> so far? So we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Even though we still grapple with sin in our lives. But the law of it we're set free from. If I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But I'm still working out day by day by day by day. I'm saved and I am being sanctified. So Paul says, why, if you have died to your old life, would you longingly look back at the law and say, oh, weren't they the good old days? The law that just condemned us. That just pointed out how bad we were. You get that shocking illustration now from when I started. That this wife would look longingly at that miserable old git of a husband who just pointed out what she was doing wrong and how terrible she was. And when she met the new one who loved her with all his heart, she would keep a photo of the old one. 
Paul is saying that is spiritual adultery. If, you, if you're a Christian and you're longing for the old life that you had in sin, you're committing spiritual adultery. Because you're saying, Jesus, I'm not living for you. I'm living for the old. Sounds quite stark at times, doesn't it? Paul sees legalists, those who are hanging on to the law, as refugees from grace. They've run away from grace. And he sees the liberals as abusers of grace. We can do anything we want. Yet genuine believers have died with Christ and are raised to a new life. Therefore, we have a new heart. Therefore, we have a new motivation in our lives. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we don't see it as a law. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we don't see it as, oh gosh, I've got to keep Jesus' commandments and he won't love me if I don't keep his commandments. No, he loves us. We've been set free. But when you love someone, you want to please them. And if we love Christ, we will seek to live a life that pleases him. Not that we will always get it right. Sinless perfection is a difficult attainment. But we will have a motivation that says, I am different now. And I want to bear fruit. Remember the other illustration. And in that illustration of that marriage, they could have not, no children. That's illustrating that there is no fruit. The law doesn't enable you to bear fruit. The old sinful nature doesn't enable you to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit enables you to bear fruit. How can we say Jesus is Lord of my life if there is no fruit in our lives? J.C. Ryle, who I read years ago, um, was a man who um, wrote... Uh, quite a famous book on holiness. And he used to argue that justification and sanctification, big words, justification that God has saved us, just if we'd never sinned, he has forgiven us our sins. But sanctification is that process in which we are changed, transformed from glory into glory to be more like Jesus. He said they, they should not be separated. Justification and sanctification go hand in hand with each other. They are different, but never found apart from each other. And Paul would say that. If you say you're a Christian, but there's no fruit in your life, James would say that, wouldn't he? If you read the book of James. A.W. Pink was his great name. Um, he takes on modern evangelists, or the modern evangelists of his day. And he argues that many evangelists would preach that Jesus saves you from hell. Come and get saved. 
rather than Jesus saves you from sin. And sin separates you from God. And when Jesus forgives all your sins, you are reconciled with God and you are saved from hell. His point is this. There are lots of people who would like to be saved from hell, but not so keen on being saved from sin. I was reflecting on this as well. Of the testimonies that I hear of transformed lives, which are fantastic. And I think Edward's going to write a book on this before he dies. Um, that somewhere in the Christian church and somewhere along the line, we have forgotten that Jesus came to die for our sins. Yes, he came to show us his amazing love. Yes, he came to transform us and give us a new life and give us peace and save us from hell. But he does it by dying on a cross. It is the symbol of the Christian faith. It will never change because Jesus came. As the angel says to Joseph, and he will be called Jesus and he will save people from hell? No. From sin. Because it's that that separates us from a holy God. Jesus has saved us from our sin by taking our sin. He took our sin on himself. When he died on the cross, all the things that I have done wrong, he, it, he took upon himself. and paid the price for it. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. And he took my sin and continues to take my sin. And that's why I don't want to sin because... I know how much it cost. And because I love Jesus, I don't want to go back to my old life. Jesus gives us a new heart. And because we are forgiven, we are saved. Our position has changed. And we have died with Christ. And we are no longer bound as subjects to the old master or married to the old husband. Because there is a new king in town, a new master we can serve, and a new husband for which we are the bride. And that's who we are as his church, the bride of Christ. And Paul's passion for holiness, for the church, overflows. But he is still committed to grace. It's all grace. But Jesus gives you a new heart to live for him. That's why Paul, when you read his letters... 
At one point, he calls himself the worst of sinners. I'm thinking, hang on a moment. You think you're the worst of sinners, Apostle Paul. How can that be? It's because he knows Jesus really, really well. And he's got closer to Jesus. And the thing about getting closer to Jesus is, it's great because the more you see of him, the more you love him. But the closer you get to him, the more you see yourself in a new light. You compare yourself with someone else and, well, I'm all right. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, <laughs> How are you doing with Jesus? It's no comparison, is there? But he wants to be more like Jesus. He wants to be more like Jesus than anything else. Could we say that? We want to be more like Jesus than anything else. Why would you go back to the old? Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your words and we pray that by your spirit you will apply that into our lives. And for each of us, it may be different. It may be that something you've put your finger on tonight may apply in one life and it may be different in another life, but we thank you that your grace is enough for each of us, wherever we are, wherever we've come from, Wherever we are right now, we can all say we want to be more like you. And I pray that for us tonight. That with new hearts in Christ, acknowledging that we have died in Christ, that old life is dead and buried. We have a new life and we can live it for Jesus. that we would run and take hold of this new life paid for in full by Jesus so we thank you Lord for your amazing grace and we pray for one another and for those we know who might struggle in this whole area of living for you dying to the old letting go of the old habits the old things that keep coming back we pray, Lord, that as a church, your church, we would be different from this world in which we live because of the hope that we have, because of the transforming power of your spirit. And we ask for your help because we all struggle, Lord. You know us. You know our hearts. You see our lives. We ask for your help. to press into the new. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask Peter and the band to come back and as we uh, just worship a little bit more.